What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Uncensored Credit Podcast. Thank you for tuning in again, as always. It means the world to me, so thank you, as always, for that. And today, we welcome along uh, a very, very special guest, and that is Miss Stephanie Sword Williams. Uh, Stephanie is a motivational speaker and author, author of this amazing book here called Fuck Being Humble and Why Self-Promotion Isn't a Dirty Word. I've had the pleasure to read it, and for any of you out there in any industry, just get your hands on this book and make sure you read it because not only is it one that you read once and you're inspired by it, you go back to it again and again and again for advice. So let's take a moment to introduce Stephanie and for anyone who doesn't know about her work, Steph has over eight years of experience in the advertising sector. Uh, she's built up an incredible amount of work as well as storytelling expertise and applying her knowledge to support anyone in any industry by knowing their worth. In 2018, she set up Fuck Being Humble, a platform designed to do just that, inspire, to, uh, inspire and remind people of their achievements today, I can't read my own handwriting, of their achievements today and to celebrate how, they've, uh, how much they've accomplished so far, making people unapologetically proud of their work. Since then, she's written her debut book, uh, Why Self-Promotion Isn't a Dirty Word, and also delivered a TED Talk on why the world needs to be a little less humble and not become too absorbed by FOSS, a, uh, a term coined by Steph, which stands for fear of sounding stupid. Uh, her sellout talks have reached people in over 50 countries. She was also named in Forbes Under 30 list and for Europe and in the top 100, changing, 100 women changing the creative industry for two years in a row. She's built an online audience of over 150,000 followers and her, and her work has featured in Vogue, Forbes, The Times, Cosmopolitan, Stylist Magazine, Estee Lauder, Puma, and many, many more. And I was lucky to meet Steph in December 2018 at an Old Vic careers event. And I can say that she leaves her audiences feeling inspired and raring to take on the world in whatever business excites them the most so without further ado hello Steph hi well thank you so much for reeling off all of those things it's so nice to be here talking to you oh no no the pleasure's on mine thank you Steph um so let's shoot right back to the beginning for you um uh, I think I think I'm right in thinking that you grew up in Leeds and uh, you you said I think at the talk actually at the old thing back in that December um that you you grew up in an environment which there was no creative kind of output I think I think your dad was an accountant and your mom sort of did I sorry I forgot what your mom said it's in the book uh but you came from a very non-creative kind of background or creativeless environment so I suppose the first question is like where did it all come from for you the love to be creative and just to inspire yourself to be the person you are today where did it all start for you yeah so I you know, I love my family, they're brilliant, but they are more academic and yeah. they have always been in those spaces. And for me personally, I was, um, you know, definitely more creative, more expressive. And mm. I did that through, um, you know, doing things like art and media studies and exploring the things that were less based on tests and being quizzed in the moment and more about the analytical side of things and really mm. getting to experiment and try different mediums and formats so that was always quite present throughout school for me and I even to the point where I chose subjects where I only did coursework because I was terrible at exams but I also loved them so I studied things like art textiles media studies and they were just really good ways for me to bring to life my personality but to also explore what it is that that I'm excited by in my career and I guess even at an early age I always knew I wanted to do something with storytelling people would always say like 
you could have a chat show or, you know, you're going to be somebody that is on Dragon's Den or something like that. So that was always quite prominent in, in the conversations that we're having. And it was more actually when I went to university that I studied fashion communication and promotion, which was less about fashion and more about marketing and advertising that it became um, sort of apparent that I really wanted to do purpose-led storytelling and particularly look at things like advertising. And that was sort of how it all started. But I'm I'm still like love drawing. I still love doing art related things. It's definitely my creative brain is the thing that I get most excited to use. So yeah, definitely being stuck behind a desk and just sending emails is like not my <laughs> idea, really. No, definitely not. Um, so it, it sounds like a very uh, courageous move from from yourself, you know, because you grew up in, like I say, you grew up in Leeds, having not many creative outlets around you. And, and you know, how did you find the inspiration to sort of say, look, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to be an academic. I want to follow what I love doing, even though everyone around me is saying, no, you know, this is, this is how you've got to live your life. How did you break the mold and say, no, this is what I want to do? So I guess I have to be, I, my parents weren't saying that they, that I couldn't do that. I guess they were less yeah. knowledgeable on the range of roles that I could explore. And I think yeah. it's something we don't talk about at school. You know, when you choose art, people used to say, oh, so you're going to be an artist. Or if you choose media, it had to be that you're going to be a presenter. Yeah. There was very little educational discussion around how many different roles you could explore in the arts or in the creative industry. So I, I kind of just followed the subjects I enjoyed the most, the things that I was excelling and performing in the most were actually the things I was enjoying. And I had a really great art teacher at the time, actually, who was very supportive. And I remember applying for a place at the university I was going to, and you had to make a magazine for a cover. And she helped me do it. And, and actually, I think she was really supportive at the time to help push me in this direction of like, yeah, you should go explore this. Even if you don't know what job's going to be at the end of it, go study what you enjoy doing. And I think so often for many people, they feel more like they have to choose the subjects or the the um, industries that have profitable jobs at the end of it or have a clear tra trajectory. So mm -hmm. I was definitely fortunate in the way that my family supported me to continue to do that. But in terms of breaking the mold, I think I just like I did what I enjoyed. And I I guess it wasn't hugely breaking the mold. It was more about not feeling like I had to change myself to fit in somewhere else, which has always been quite true to me and my personal identity anyway. Yeah, fantastic. So let's sort of jump into your work. So your main body of work, which, of course, again, is here fuck being humble uh where did that when, when was the first kind of whisper of the idea for this platform and um funny i think a title which is very very memorable by the way and i love it it's fantastic um when was the first kind of whisper of this idea of this platform where did it come from so i moved to london um after living in manchester and building up my career up north and i moved down to london and i basically was just so inspired there were so many amazing people so many great events so many great creators that I was meeting and I was just so inspired by everything I was seeing. But often when I went to events, particularly industry focused ones about building your career, the, it was the same voices. It was the same people. Um, very often they were either like privately educated or they'd been running an agency for 50 years or they just didn't feel that relatable. There was a huge lack in female voices and especially diverse female voices. And I felt like there was 
more that could be done in the space of events. And I often felt that you would go in, listen to people's careers. They were really great. But then you'd walk out of the event and go, but what do I do with that information? How do I apply that to my own career? Mm. So I wanted to create something that went against the grain because the careers industry hasn't been shaken up in years. Like I can't name very many other brands that have made a bold statement and it has stuck and people are excited by it. So many of the messages we get are like, shoot for the stars, ask for a raise. And it's all just so generic and expected. And throughout my journey of of working in advertising I always loved like shock advertising I always loved like tactics that would get people talking and disruptive ideas like challenger brands were what I always gravitated towards so I knew when I was thinking about okay if I want to create something and I want to make something that could stand the test of time I wanted to explore something that had a bit more edge to it and was going to make people sit up and listen. And I remember coming up with a name because I love R&B, hip hop. I always have it like 90s R&B and hip hop are like my go-to playlist. <laughs> and I was listening to like Eve and Missy Elliott when they would say like, let me blow your mind. And Missy Elliott would be like, do your thing. There's no shame. And there was just so much like motivational language in um, rap music and some of the 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 icons that I'd listened to for years and I just thought wouldn't it be great if we made a careers platform that was more culturally relevant and we interwove inspiration from you know singers and artists and writers and people that are really actually like saying it how it is like being direct yeah and I remember I, I came up with two two names there was say my name after Destiny's Child say my name because I like the idea that you want to walk into rooms and people say your name mm-hmm. or there was a book being humble. And I remember texting my friends at the time and they were like, Oh, I don't think you should go with fuck being humble. It's really going to alienate people. You're going to put people off. Um, definitely say my name, but there was just something inside of me that was like, mm, I think I've got to go for it. So the first thing I did was just create an Instagram account um, and started posting on that letting people know that an event was coming. Um, And it was, it was like, you know, saying things like, don't be modest. And it was posting photos of like some of my favorite, you know, R&B singers and some of my favorite, like funny disruptive quotes. And it was very much like, how can we kind of mock the careers industry, but also how can we empower people in like a more relatable and relevant way? Mm. And that was really the start of it. And I'm so glad I chose the name Fuck Being Humble because it has single-handedly been the most effective advertising tool that I have because people say it when I'm not there and everybody wants to know about it or people will message me and say, I'm sold on the name, tell me more. And actually, I think so many people struggle just getting their foot in the door. So although it was risky and could have been alienating, I'm really happy that the people I wanted it to resonate with, it did. And they've gone on to be amazing supporters and cheerleaders and advocates of the brand. Fantastic. And I think it's really interesting because not only does the title stand out for, you know, for reasons you just talked about there, but I think it's a particularly British thing, which is to hold on to humility and to be humble and someone comes up to you and says like like oh your performance like because i'm an actor so like, oh your performance was fantastic i really enjoyed it i'm like oh that's very kind of you but no just, 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 calm, just calm down you know no, um or you know we we kind of hold on to we 
a lot of us say stay humble stay humble but you know with you coming in and to say no fuck that be proud of what you've achieved you know um did was that ever met with any kind of resistance like when you first started uh, this this brand absolutely of course yeah. of course and i think particularly at the beginning stages when i hadn't built up my credibility or my voice at that yeah. point so yeah. I remember sharing it, people were liking it in sort of my immediate network, but it was when I was going to networking events and maybe speaking to older males who, you know, would would literally look at me and go, I don't get it. And I don't know why you would tell people to do that. So I was, I was very quickly met with very honest opinions yeah. and even, even ones that I didn't ask for, which was always enjoyable. Um, but I guess with that, you do build a level of resilience quite early on. I think some people who build brands, they can go a really long time, nothing happened, and then something bad happened, and then they freak out and worry, oh, I can't pursue it. But I guess my journey was that I already had critics wanting to sort of tear it up in a way and and call it out. And, of course, there were people that were sort of saying, oh, it's just this tacky millennial brand or there's Mm. where's the substance? You know, this can't be right. No one's ever told us this. Mm. And I guess what I always knew was fuck being humble was just a statement to get people listening. I, of course, I don't swear in every presentation. I, of course, tell people it's important to be modest at some points in your career. But I think what people see on the outside versus what they see on the inside is very different. And for anybody that's experienced my talks, read my book, experienced any of the content I put out there, they know that it's not me just going around telling people to just, you know, always brag about yourself and just be, you know, self-indulgent and arrogant. That's absolutely not what the brand's about. Mm-hmm. So anybody that understands marketing knows that it was a marketing tactic to get people to listen. And I think, you know, I experienced things like I was featured in the Financial Times and I got really bad press. Um, this woman literally just ripped me to shreds. She never interviewed me. She didn't speak to my customers. She didn't read the book. She she just saw the name and, and went for it. Yeah. And again, like I had a total freak out, called my dad, was like crying in tears. And I remember that the next day, my sister calling to check in and, and she said, how are you feeling? I was like, she's just not my demographic. And my sister burst out laughing and she was like, I love how quickly you bounced back from this. But it was true. It's like the reality was she wasn't. And what I'm really happy with is I think pre-pandemic, people were still um, kind of figuring out whether self-promotion was for them. Mm. Whereas post-pandemic, because we saw an employability crisis, redundancies, layoffs, um, lack of work, so many different changes. Mm. Post-pandemic, people are like begging me to help them. And it's yeah. such an interesting cultural shift because there were people who were ready to turn me away straight away. And actually those same people have asked to have a coffee with me and say, can you help me? Because I'm really struggling. And it's, you know, for me, it's like, fuck being humble is there for you whenever you need it in your career. And you might not need it at certain points, but when you do, that energy is going to be there to power you through. Exactly. Yeah, well said. I think I, I think that brings me on to a really interesting point was, again, in the book, you say, just repeating what you said there, you know, it's not all about saying, oh, screw you, I'm amazing. You know, I'm just, you know, that's not what you're saying at all. You know, I think there's, I think, you know, if, do, do correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in a nutshell, I think the book saying, be proud of your achievement, obviously stay humble. If I even say in the book, stay humble of course stay humble but you know but be proud of what you've achieved so far don't scrub it all under the carpet you know just you've done all these things and be proud of that 
essentially. That's yeah. I think I think in a nutshell, that's what your message is saying. And there's no harm in that. It's saying, look, I'll oh, yeah, I've I've done well. So have a lot of other people, but yeah. 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 It's not it's not that saying that you're any better than anybody else, or you know, and I the best example I give is like, let's say I've delivered an event and someone comes back to me at the end of the session and go, Wow, that was amazing. I'm not gonna turn around and go, I know I'm one of the best speakers in the UK. Like, <laughs> that's not something I'm ever going to say, right? Yeah. In that going to be humble and I'm going to say thank you so much I'm so glad you enjoyed it tell me more about you and actually what I'm doing is I'm accepting the compliment I'm acknowledging what's being said but I'm still able to continue conversation without feeling like oh I've made it all about me and and I think it's it's about knowing when to be modest in your career and when to be humble I think the worst thing I see is people missing out on opportunities because they were so busy being modest that they they don't get the results they want. And it happens time and time again, you know, whether it's speaking up in meetings, performance reviews, pitches, first meetings with clients, they're the times where you you do have to advocate for yourself. You yeah. do have to brag about yourself. I always say like going in, in into an interview and not self-promoting is like going to an audition and not singing. It's so, it's so important <laughs> to do. It's so it's such an essential thing for us to do. And I think it's those career defining moments that when we don't have the courage or the mindset to feel like we can advocate for ourselves that we miss out on things. So that's when I want people to say, yeah, fuck being humble, I do deserve this. Like fuck mm. being humble, I am gonna ask for this. That's where I want it to come into play. It's not that I'm asking people to stand on a chair with a megaphone in every meeting going, I've smashed it again, I'm amazing. Like there's a way to do it. And I think we've just got to figure out the best personal narrative that works for us. Mm. Yeah, and I think, so I've got this sort of image, like, you know, I think there's a kind of a, a like when it comes to people getting nervous about taking those opportunities, you know, you see an opportunity and a part of you is going, oh, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. But another part of you is going, no, 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 protect yourself, protect yourself. Um, so it's interesting how, you know, I've had moments like with the podcast, like approaching guests, like in person saying, come on, just do it, just do it. And then you feel the nerves rising and then your body sort of going, no, 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 run, run for the hills, run for the hills. But you have to, so how do you sort of silence that voice by, and just, so I think for me, it was just literally just a case of going, oh, fuck it, who gives a fuck? Hey, do you want to come on my show? And most of the time they just go, yeah, why not? And, uh, and afterwards it's gone, well, oh, that, that wasn't so hard. It wasn't so scary. So, so that's another think- big message, yeah. Yeah. And you've just explained it really well. Like you can't ever get a yes if you don't ask. Exactly. You know, your dream podcast guest is not going to come knocking on your door. Like that's reality. And I did a post recently where I said, it's more arrogant to think that people are Googling your name and searching for you than it is to just self-promote. So whether you're trying to get a job or get someone on the podcast, it's actually more arrogant to think that your, your ideal podcast guest yeah. knows exactly who you are they're dying to be on your show Ooh. and they're just going to message you like the reality is it it's not the case and so until you get to that stage where you know you might be publicly well known it is so important to shoot your shot like always shoot your shot and never have that missed opportunity because I speak to so many people who just go you know I'm I'm 40 I'm 50 I'm 60 I wish I'd have heard you 20 years ago there are so many things I've not gone for because of worrying about what people say or worried about rejection and I kick myself now so I think in the moment it's sort of saying to your remembering you can't ever get a yes if you don't ask and also everything is about 
the next conversation or the next thing. So it might not be necessarily that you're trying to go from, I've just met you, can I get a job with you? It might just be like, I've just met you, really liked our conversation, would be great to grab your email and we could get a coffee sometime. And so if you look at, you know, first interactions with people or some of your goals and you break them down into smaller steps that you can achieve. So, okay, I just, I actually just want to get their Instagram so I can just follow them and then maybe I could DM them later on or maybe it's their email or maybe I want to just sign up to their newsletter or or I buy their book and I leave them a nice review so they know my name. Like think Mm. about those, they're like mini milestones, I call them, like those little steps that are going to help you get towards that bigger goal Mm. and that will make that, thing that you're scared of doing feel a little less intimidating um and I just think you know it's so important that we experiment with different approaches as well and not getting stuck in well I went up to somebody once and they said no so I'm I'm never doing it again it's yeah. like okay, maybe a written email might be better or maybe you need to send them something in the post or you know I, I think it's with all forms of self-promotion and you know communicating it's really important to try different methods out before sort of eliminating that approach altogether mm, fantastic um so an- another thing that you sort of talk about at length in your book is um, embracing failure and not being scared of it. You know, again, we talked about, you know, I just mentioned that sometimes we get people come on the show. I've also asked people in perhaps the the wrong circumstances to come on my show. And, and then I look back on it and I think, okay, no, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And, you know, you look back on things, you're like, oh, I could have done that better. And I think failure, you know, in whatever scenario, you know, people have, are scared of it. You know, I have, I've been scared of it on many, many occasions. Um, but you always talk about embracing it and knowing that, you know, just because you failed this one time doesn't mean that it, it doesn't define you. You know, so many people keep saying that, but you, I think you write specifically about how you learn from that lesson and then, and then moving forward and ultimately, you know, by embracing failure makes you a stronger person. So yeah, am I I on the right lines there? Yeah. I mean, I actually named that chapter failure makes you funny because I wanted to kind of land people that if you can turn a failure into a humorous anecdote, Mm. actually that's a really positive way to let yourself off from something. I literally just shared something today about when I was on holiday in New York, I got kicked out by security trying to land my dream job because I wandered into advertising agencies. Um, you know, basically uninvited, unannounced and asked, demanded to have an interview with the MD. And they were like, absolutely not, get out of the building. Um, and, <laughs> but I tell that story now and it's like, yeah, I could look at that and go, well, I'm never ever going to put myself in that situation again because I got no results from it. Mm. Or I could look at it and tell it as the story of like, what did I learn that you should ask for forgiveness not permission that you should keep trying different ways before you give up you should you know like just care less and just try more and and I think for me it's like I've always been someone who I guess even in my friendship groups and my social circles I laugh at myself quite a lot when I do silly things or like I make mistakes or I trip up and I think when you do that you're allowing yourself to kind of forgive yourself Mm. I think a lot of people who fail and let it linger and don't give themselves the permission to forgive themselves. It actually is like this kind of sticky thing that they can't shake and they're really embarrassed about it and they carry it around for years and it shows up in times when they don't want it to. And and actually what happens is they can project that experience or that failure onto other people. Um, 
And so I, I think it's really important that, you know, we and that we also look at what the difference between a mistake and a failure is, because I think so many people go, oh, that was such a fail. And I'm like, was it or was it just a, a small mistake that you've made? And I think yeah. one of the questions I get people to think about is like, what are you defining as a mistake and what are you defining as a failure? Because we can be our own worst critics in those moments mm-hmm. um, so rather than kind of going in on yourself and saying, oh, you know, I'm the most stupid person in the world. Nobody else would have done this. It's like, well, actually, what were the external factors that got to this point? What were the internal factors? What would you say to a friend? What are the things you do and don't want to do again? Like, let's look at this as a productive way, not just a, I'm going to, you know, tear myself apart and, you know, wallow in self-pity because there's only so long you can do that before Mm. you just start to feel, you know, worthless and that there's no point. So I always really encourage people Try and find the development point out of it, but also the humorous side. Yeah, I think that's a good lead on to your uh, coined phrases, FOS and F, oh God, F, fear of being generic, F, F-O-B-G. So uh, fear of, well, first of all, it's FOS, fear of sounding stupid. You know, I mean, I can't tell you like how many times, not just me, I'm sure many others have been in a circle or interviewing someone and gone, look, Okay, this might sound like a silly question. I'm, I'm sorry if this is a silly question. No, this is sorry. This is a really silly question, but I will ask it anyway. But you know, but you talk about how you can turn that fos to into fear of being well, not turning into fear sense. of being generic. So I think that's something else. But um, but how do you? I think again, you say embrace the fear of sounding stupid. You know, it's not a bad thing. And I think you say there, like it's just a little mistake. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter. You know, yeah, we all do silly stuff. But, you know, there's no point beating yourself up about it because we all do it. Yeah. And like the examples I give with false is that when we worry about sounding stupid, so often we don't speak up and we minimize ourselves and we undersell ourselves. Yeah. And what happens is we don't present ourselves in the way that we want to be known for things. So we miss out on opportunities. Yes. So what I sort of explain to people is rather than being worried about FOSS, I want you to be worried about FOBGE, which I know doesn't sound anywhere near as good, but <laughs> FOBGE is the fear of being generic because every time you don't speak up, you become generic. You blend in with everyone else. You, you Nobody knows who you are. I don't know why you know, what your perspective are, or what your opinions are, or what you've done, right? So I want people to worry about being generic and blending in versus sounding stupid, but actually being able to stand out. And I think that's something that so many of us experience. Like I, whenever I do my talks, I say, raise a hand if you've ever felt false. The entire room feels it. Because yeah, literally, because mm-hmm. we've all we've all been there and we can all identify with that feeling. So I think it's something that we just have to normalize, particularly if you're, you know, managing teams, supporting younger members of staff. It's really important to say to them, like, you've been hired for a reason and you're not going to sound stupid. Right. And it's like the classic thing of like some of the most stupid questions, the questions that stop fires from starting on a project because we needed to have them. Maybe the whole room wasn't aligned. And actually that question that sounding stupid in your head was the thing that got everybody on board or mm. you know maybe you're worried about asking a question to your boss because you don't want to look um unexperienced but actually that question is the thing that they would really like to teach you on so it's kind of like we always look at everything from a negative outlook mm-hmm. but it's like anytime you worry about this question being silly it's almost asking yourself but what's the benefit that could come from this and yeah. if i ask it what results might change? How might it change the path? It's unlikely that it's going to negatively affect 
you know, the direction of the project you're working on, nine times out of 10, it's going to be the thing that helps strengthen your performance and possibly those around you. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I could just tell a very quick story about myself, if I may. Uh, I remember being at the National. Um, I did this placement there at the National a few years ago. And uh, we were stuck, we were working on this play and there was one segment missing. Or then the director was like, okay, we're missing one little quote. One little quote from a politician here would be great. I remember I watched an interview, I'm not gonna say his name, because no, Boris Johnson, I've said it now, but I watched an interview with, with him and something that he said, it was about Brexit and he said like, the jailers left the door open and the people can see the sunlit land beyond if we vote to leave. And it's like, anyway, I'm not gonna get into politics. But uh, so I'd sort of, I threw that into the space, I thought, but before that, it was that thing of, oh God, you know, I'm not sure, is, 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 that, is, is this gonna sound stupid? Is it gonna sound bad? But I just thought, oh, screw it. Okay, so Boris said this and the director went, I love that. That's going in the play, and it made it into the play. And I was like, I was like, wow, you know, it's it's you know, it's a proud moment. I don't mean to sound like look at me or anything, but you know, it was there was one of those moments where you just go, do you know what? Just just try, you know, just just try. If if you know, like you say, if you try it, it might go somewhere. But if it doesn't, if it falls flat on its face, oh well, never mind. We'll just try again. That sort of mentality in a way, which I think is great. Um, I think that's a, a good lead on to. Um, this is a really big thing I wanted to talk to you about today was one of you, one of the chapters in your book, which really stuck with me was when you talked about anger and anger in yourself and how essentially holding on to grudges, holding on to things, oh, that was so bad. I could have done better. All that stuff. It's, it's pointless. It's point. It's robbing you of joy and robbing you of future development. So talk a bit more about that chapter and what you've learned about anger. Yeah, I guess I was talking to a friend about it the other day and she's gone through therapy and, and, talking a lot about these things that when things go wrong, how critical she is, how much she overthinks it, how much. And actually, I think what her therapist said that I thought was really interesting was like, you're not going to change what's happened by going over it. Like the nothing will change. All you're doing is prolonging how upset you are and the pain that you might be feeling. But you're not going to rewrite history. You can't get in a time machine and get back and do that. So yeah. the most important thing is that you find a way to um, move past it. Now, don't get me wrong. I've been in moments where I maybe haven't got the pay uh, increase I expected or the respect or the credit. And I have sulked and I have absolutely been that person who has sat for two weeks feeling uninspired, not yeah. bothered. Disengaged. No, we all have. We've, we've all been there. We've all been uh, there. Right. But, you know, reflecting on that experience now, it was like I could the only thing I could do was move forward. And I didn't want to be known as that person in the workplace that couldn't get past problems or held these grudges or, you know, was difficult to work with because they were quite temperamental or sensitive about a thing. It's like that's it's always really important to like look at the people you do and don't admire in your work environments, outside of your work environments, and ask yourself, like, who do I want to be like? Like, what does the brand or the version of me, what do I want it to look and sound like? And how do I want people to speak about me when I'm not in the room? And holding on to grunges that are not going to help anyone was something that I was quite, you know, adamant that I didn't want to do. And so that's something that um, I think is really important, but also, for your own like sanity like it's not enjoyable to keep going over these things and you are much better I always say to people like focus on what you can improve for next time don't dwell on what went wrong so acknowledge it you know I spoke with the meeting I've fluffed it up 
didn't do very well. Why? Because I didn't prepare. Okay, so what do you need to do? Take in some notes, practice yourself, practice public speaking at home, record yourself, film yourself, listen to yourself back, like make a list of things, but don't just keep going on at yourself because nothing happens. And I've actually done this recently where if I find myself like ruminating over something gone wrong, I literally say in my head, you're choosing to continue to stay on this. Nobody else is nobody else is talking about it. I literally verbalize like you're choosing to stick on this narrative. Why are you doing this? Change the thought pattern now. And it really it sounds obvious, but it really does help just to sort of like literally have a word in your mind to go like you're choosing this. Nobody else is planting this story. Like you are planting this story. Stop doing it. Mm. Uh, and I, I did a post about this recently about getting like 90% close to signing a contract and it and, and then the other person going really quiet. And I sent a few emails and I didn't hear anything back. Mm-hmm. And the narrative I told myself was like, if they wanted me, they would have, you know, they would have reached out. And that's clearly the problem. And it was so like ego driven that it was like so unproductive mm. that after a couple of months of enjoying my summer and being like, do you know what? I'm just going to get back in touch. I'm not going to let this be this thing that I questioned my entire career. Could Did I let that thing go? And I actually text the person instead of emailing and they got back straight away and we signed the contract the next day. And it was so such an important reminder of like, you do choose the narrative that you plan mm. in your head. So I think when we're talking about things like anger and and overcoming that, it's sort of allowing yourself to have a sulking cooling off period. Absolutely. Like you're human. You need that. I'm not going to tell you you're not allowed it, but also very quickly choose what narrative you want to um, take yourself on Um, because it is, it's often a a self-critical one and, and you have the power to change that, that voice essentially. Yeah, fantastic. And I think that's a good lead on to one question I wanted to ask you about, because you mentioned again earlier about, you know, you pitching this this idea to people and getting a, you know, frankly, not, not the response I think you wanted and then being, you know, very harshly uh, lambasted in the Financial Times and everything like that. But I just wanted to know, like, with all your experience behind you now, and, and if you've had any experiences like this recently, uh, like if you walk into a room, and you're met immediately with this energy of, like who's this? Like like who who are you? And like you start to deliver your uh, spiel about you know uh, fuck being humble about self promotion. You know it's not a bad thing. It's not a dirty word, etc. Like how do you feel about? And but, but you just feel the energy in the room is is not right. Like you feel like everyone's against you in a way. And you know that could be a built in thing. I like for all of us to say like oh everyone thinks you're an asshole. Everyone should. Everyone doesn't want you to be here. You should leave right now. You know blah blah blah. blah. But what would you say would is the best piece of advice you've got for people when you walk into a room and you feel like everyone's against you or everyone wants you to not succeed? So I think there's a few things to reflect on. So first of all, have you got any evidence to prove this or is it based on assumptions or insecurity? So that's okay. got to be yeah. like, have, Has anybody ever indicated it? Has Have you ever had bad reviews from these people? Um, is it something you actually need to inquire about or is it self narrative? Mm-hmm. And then I, I think things that are really important and I talk about a lot is like working with mentors, peers, people that can help you re-navigate that thinking because it's 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 quite easy for me to just sit there and go, just change the way you think. And it's not that simple. And I think whether it's through coaching, mentoring, therapy, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. sometimes we do need to find 
other ways to rewire our thinking and often it is with the help of other people yeah. um i mean something that i i would always say is like always think about how you're adding value to other people and this is the same with like self-promotion and what i talk about in the book like it's not just about talking about your successes it's about adding value to others so that you build credibility and trust in that way so if you feel like oh the whole room's against me and i don't know you know whether what i'm about to say is going to land well or whether people when you add value to other people when you offer advice support guidance tips anything they are more likely to want to build that relationship and trust with you so yeah. i think sometimes it requires us to decenter ourselves and stop focusing on like us as being the main focus in the room and actually it's like everybody in the room will have their own lives going on their own baggage their own drama their own workload you are literally you are saying that you are the most important person in that room right now and actually just to really be like the reality check is so often you're not and so I think what's more important is um adding value to other people so that you know that the best that you've done is to contribute in a positive way um can help and people often say when you're struggling if you help others it helps you to see your own worth mm. such an important thing to to remember so if you ever find yourself struggling to use your voice or struggling to speak up or self-promote like go help somebody at university or a 16 year old or your grandparents or anybody and and see the shift it will help you to have because you're taking yourself away from everything being about you into wait a minute I just helped someone so I must be good at what I'm doing and I do you know it's it's that like immediate confidence boost that can really help you um and I think also you know it's it's always about sort of asking yourself like how am I showing up in different spaces as well so you know you might feel this relation to that exact moment in a meeting or in a, in a an event space or something but how are you supporting people on email how are you communicating things and it's just like you know your your persona and your profile is like a 360 thing it's not just how you show up one day at a big meeting it's how you show up every day or it's how you support people on social media or it's how you you know recommend a friend when they're not in the room so like I feel like often when you do those things that support and enrich other people's lives, mm. you kind of take away that um, focus on everything being about you because you know that you're doing good things as a human. Mm. Um, and I think you put yourself into question less because you are actually doing things that other people benefit from instead of solely focusing on your own experience. Yeah. Brilliantly said. Uh, I think um, that's a, one thing I was thinking about when you were talking about there is um, how uh, vulnerability, I think, is is a superpower in a way. I've heard this from a lot of people. And again, it's, it's all in the book. Um, how being vulnerable and being open and adapt and a big way also is adaptability. You talk, you talk a lot about as well. Uh, and how you encounter um, adaptophobes as you, another phobe, another thing you like, you've coined in your book. Uh, how important it is to also embrace just your own stuff your own vulnerabilities and also be willing to adapt in order to leave that behind leave anger behind and just be happy in your own skin and and i think that it's a very interesting point about when you clash with adaptophobes people who are unwilling to change you know people stuck in their own ways you know not willing to change at all um but again it is going back to what you're saying there about making sure that you're doing all the right work making sure you're being open and being you know 
encouraging and smother them with kindness and then just leave the anger behind because there's no time for it at the door. So I think adaptability is another big thing that you've you've encountered, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of the number one skills that I think businesses are still looking for, particularly mm. post-pandemic. You know, when mm. when businesses um, change in scale, uh, they have to make redundancies, layoffs, they restructure. They're going to be looking at the people who are able to adapt with change. And we've just experienced the most significant global change, you know, the careers industry has like, ever seen, right? So mm. I feel like it's something that is even more important than ever. But also, I think with when you're um, wanting to express your desire to be adaptable, it's actually really important to vocalize that because I think people can think, oh, like, oh, no, they're the she's the illustrator girl. That's what she's used for. And actually, it's your responsibility to ensure that other people see you for the varied things that you can offer. So if you want to be seen as someone or you want to be asked to be involved in certain things and you need to be that person saying by the way yes this is my role but also I love to work on events and I love to support people with this or um, I'd actually really love to do more production things or whatever it may be is make sure you're vocalizing it and you're vocalizing it to the right people so that's my advice for people who want to demonstrate that they are open to being adaptable and then if you're managing like adaptophobes which I talk about mm-hmm. is I would really recommend trying to find a common ground with this person. So often the reason people are reluctant to change or doing things is because they don't feel heard, they feel overlooked, or they feel like there's no point. So if you can understand more about that individual, what drives them, what doesn't, what they're frustrated by, what they're not, actually the minute you find that common ground and that you can build a stronger relationship. So I had a designer I used to work with who was notoriously difficult um, when I was working in an advertising agency. Uh-huh. And essentially his thing was he always wanted to leave on time, always wanted to leave at six o'clock on the dot. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'd be like, you know, I'd ask him to make some amends or make it, ask him to do that. And he'd be like, there's no point. And I'd be like, look, we do this now and you can leave at six o'clock. Um, <laughs> And we don't have to keep going round the houses, right? Yeah. And as soon as I said that, it was like this shift. And he's like, okay, cool. You're speaking my language. And I think so often we don't spend enough time interrogating relationships with people and understanding what motivates them, what drives them or what doesn't. So that we just go, oh, they're just difficult. And you just clash. And actually, I guess this was my experience of working in advertising. Is that I was a people manager. I managed my clients. So I, I managed the demands and the requests every day, every minute of the day. But I also had to really manage my teams and I had to negotiate with them a lot. And I had to be like, please, could you do this for me? I just, I desperately need this done. Mm. And so much of that was about understanding people. And I think I excelled at that part of my career because I took the time to understand what did and didn't drive people in order to create a better working relationship. And honestly, it's like one of the best um, the best skills that you can develop when you're working in teams is learning to understand, listen, and respect those adaptability phobes. Because if you ever want them to get on side and you ever want them to do something for you or with you, mm. you're going to need to know how to speak their language. And, and it's an unmissed skill that I think so many people don't develop in. 
Yeah, it takes energy and people sort of think, oh, I don't want to talk to X, you know, I don't want to discomfort. You don't want to have to work through the discomfort of dealing with someone who's difficult. Yeah. It, actually, what's on the other side is a more enjoyable relationship. Mm, yeah. It's actually worth doing it in the long run. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, you talked about there about teamwork, you know, building a team and stuff like that. And another really big thing that you talk about in a lot of detail is networking and how, you know, it's it's tricky, you know, it is tricky at times, especially like your first or second time doing it, you walk into this big, like, for example, you could watch walk into this huge room, full of stands full of people behind it with flyers and notes and etc saying buy our product, you know, where you're from, etc. And um, I think you can kind of feel a bit lost in the crowd sometimes because most of the time you go there by yourself or you're lucky to go there with a friend. Uh, but I think you actually say as well in the book that going solo to these networking events is actually the best thing because you have time to um, just just go through it at your own pace and obviously sell yourself and not having to look after your mate who maybe you know helps themselves to too much free prosecco or something on the on the way in or something. And if you if you don't mind, there's a you brilliantly sum it up in your book, and I, I hope you don't mind if I just read just a little bit of it out if that's okay. Uh, it's where is it it's here so this is a brilliant little passage that you've written about um networking here it's on page 74 you say uh, so steph writes i'm not going to spin some fairy tale story that lots of people in the world who succeed aren't the children of wealthy celebrities but i do want to restore some faith that just because you're not born into this world connected doesn't mean you and your magnificently brilliant skills can't be connected in the future i'm actually on a mission to change that saying that it's not who you know it's who you are. Now, I realize that I sound a bit like a doting parent send, sending their kid off to school for the first time, but it's so important to realize that while it might be breezier getting endless hookups from a friend or a friend of a friend, it's even more satisfying when you make that connection yourself based on who you are all by yourself. And I think that was a brilliant way of explaining it. You know, you go to these events and I never heard that before. It's not about who you know, it's who you are. So sort of explain a little bit more about how you came to that realization. Well, first of all, thank you for reading that out. It was actually so nice to hear someone else read that because I don't think I've ever had somebody do that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, I guess my personal experience was when I moved to London, I literally had zero contacts. Like I had my university friends who were all partnered off with their long-term relationships. So I felt very lonely anyway. <laughs> and I just didn't know anyone. Like I would go to these, yeah. you know, cool events that I'd find, but I'd go by myself and I, and I didn't have this you know, like hookup of connections of like, oh, my uncle works at Vice Media or they work at this big magazine or this ad agency. Like I just never, ever had that. And I guess when you don't have it, you do work harder for it. Like you you kind of have to go into survival mode. And from my own experience, like, of course, as I said, like it would have been way easier just to walk into things and it'd be, a, you know, I probably would have saved a lot of time and, and hours doing it. Mm. But... It's not to say that just because you're not given that you can't find it for yourself. And the reason I want to change the saying, it's not uh, what it's the say. What's the saying? It's it's not. Um, what is the saying? It's not uh, who you know. It's not what you know. It's who, who you, you know. Yeah, it's not. It's not I what want, you know. It's who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say it's not uh, who you know. It's who you are because I think it's very easy to blame things like, oh, I don't have any connections. I will never be able to do this. I mean, you'll know from right, doing a podcast that like you you have to find ways to get out there and do it if you ever want to do it. Absolutely. And so it was through this sort of like 
I'm not going to let my lack of connections stop my agenda or my ambitions or my goals. So I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to put myself out of my comfort zone. I'm going to talk to strangers. I'm going to host events. I'm going to network. I'm going to do whatever I can. And I'm so proud of the network that I've built now. I know that if I ever need help, guidance, support, a coffee, anything, like I have such an amazing network um, that, that advocate for me when I'm not there, that hype up my book, that um, you know, they're, they're just brilliant people. Um, I've spent five years really solidly growing and each year I add to my network and I'm so ha- proud that I do. So yeah. for anyone listening, I just really want to emphasize that like, don't feel like your current immediate network is the only network you can ever have. And in fact, ask yourself, who do I need and what do I need to keep adding to my list of amazing people each year because each year things changes right like I started a second business in the mental health space so now this year something I've really been looking for is connections of people who run two businesses because that's something I'm struggling with and a lot of my current peers they only run one and they're great and they do that but I want to speak to somebody who has built two brands at the same time and what does that look like and how do they manage it and so it's about asking yourself what help do you need at what time and going to find that and not settling with it because the world is full of so many incredible people and I, I don't want to feel like oh I've I've made my list and that that's it I'm never going to add to it right so I, I do believe that with the right mindset with the right energy with the right actions it's not about you being born into a privileged, easy, accessible family full of loads of connections. I think identifying people you need help with, shooting your shot, going to events, networking, reaching out on DMs. There is, you know, there's so much that can be done, particularly through the internet. Digital networking is like transformative, right? Like before LinkedIn, people couldn't just connect with the CEO of Nike or whatever. And like, you can do that. You know, there mm. there are so many brilliant resources that are, um, you know, are on our phones that, you know, that we ha- all have access to, or a lot of people do. So I, I feel like it's just, don't feel like the card you've been dealt is the card that you'll have forever. Um, And I, I think that's always the overarching thing with fuck being humble is that like, you deserve this and you should go find those people. And you do, you do want people, you know, who want to see you succeed and they want to help you grow and go find them. Don't, don't settle with what you've got if they don't serve you. Yeah. And that's, that's great. And I think, you know, you go to these, I've just got a question about um, like when you go to these events and like you meet someone for the first time and uh, like you do all the standard stuff, like what's your name, where you're from, you know, what's your business, what's your dream, etc. And then I often find not with everyone, but with some people, like the conversation dries up very, very quickly. And your brain's going, I think of something to say, think of something to say, think of something to say, but then eventually you just have to go, okay, this isn't working. I have to walk away now. Um, you know, obviously, you know, not everyone you meet is going to be like a connection. You know, I think, you know, for every, I think some people would say that for every person they've had in their in their sort of circle of connections they have at that moment, they've had connect people who thought they were connections but didn't work out in a way. So, but so the question is, um, like, how do you sort of get over that initial sort of stage of like when you're talking to someone and your your brain just suddenly words just disappear and you're sort of going, oh, I don't know what to say. Fucking think of something now. <laughs> what happens in those moments? Do you think? So, I mean, my number one tip is research before you go to any event oh, so yeah. say you're generally going to an event over a shared interest so let's say you're going to an event about investing 
before you even arrive at that event, type in investing trends and just see all the list of articles that are going to show up and just memorize or remember a few of those articles or a few points and make notes in your phone or whatever it is so that when you are talking to those strangers and you haven't got much to say, you're sort of like, oh, I did, did you actually, did you read that article that was written by X about investment? It was really interesting. You could start the conversation that way. Yeah. So I think you need talking points, obviously, like you want to present yourself. Yeah. I think also thinking about like, what are you trying to get from that networking situational conversation? So, you know, if it is that you're trying to find someone that is that could mentor you, then it's sort of asking, you know, being prepared to present yourself in that way. Like, oh, I'm doing these things at the moment. I'm actually really struggling with, you know, finding support and um, I'm actually looking for a mentor. So using, having your very clear set intentions of what you're trying to achieve in that room. But my number one tip is ask the other person lots of questions. So Mm. think of as many questions as possible and ask them because everybody likes to talk about themselves and the more questions you ask that person, the more you can evolve the conversation, right? Like the reason it feels like awkward and especially if somebody is not someone who's going to ask you a question because generally you would keep that going. Mm. It's about continuing that conversation. Oh, that's really interesting. Tell me a bit more. Or have you always done that? Or how did you get into this? And, you know, be inquisitive and, and you be the person that keeps it going through asking questions. And the reason I encourage people to do that is because then you will nail your sales pitch back to them. The mm. more information you have about an individual, the better you can present yourself back to them. So that's always like the thing that I recommend. I agree. You not every connection you speak to is going to turn into, you know, your best friend or your next client. That's absolutely fine. But just like we were saying on like not giving up, it's like don't give up because the conversation doesn't flow immediately because it might just be that person is a bit socially anxious or they struggle with those environments and that what yeah. you're best doing, you know, even if you said like, oh God, I, I actually struggle with these events. I'm quite socially anxious. You know, being vulnerable and being honest in those situations. Again, it's all about finding that shared connection that right. kind of lowers those, those the barriers that might be stopping you from continuing that conversation in a positive way. Right. Um, yeah, the more questions you ask, the better because whether you picture them in that moment in that room or you follow up or you you want to build a friendship with them or whatever, the more you know about that individual, the more you can decide whether you want to continue right. investing in that relationship. But if you just meet someone, speak to them for five minutes and then go, mm, yeah, not my kind of people, <laughs> you might have just lost a, a really great someone. And, and I'll be honest, I've done it in the past and it's something that I've really tried to work on, you know, as I've gone through my career and navigated different types of people as humans we bounce off people who are similar to us right and I've often I have often left rooms like oh no not not my person I'm going to keep going and actually that that is a mistake like that is a mistake and I I actually challenge myself to be like no stay in this conversation with this person even if you're finding this bit uncomfortable or they're not bouncing off you in the same energy because just because they don't reciprocate in the same way that you do, maybe it's your love language, doesn't mean they're not enjoying the conversation or they don't want to speak to you. It's quite, again, it comes back to that ego thing of like, oh, my my chat's not going down as well as I thought it was. I'm going to move on to someone else. And actually it's like, no, it's really important that we spend time with people that have different communication styles um, because that's the reality of life. And the more that we can learn how to discuss and and engage with people um Mm. the better sort of experiences we'll have throughout our entire career right because not everyone has the same communication 
love language or style as you and that's really important to practice and lean into yeah um i got to th- think of there you mentioned the word there pitch quite a few times you know and you know having watched dragons den on and off you know you mentioned that earlier as well um what what's the best because you know obviously there's compilations on youtube of like some of the best ones which do really really well and some of the worst ones which you just want to switch off immediately um so Okay, so I'm going to present this to you. So we'll, we'll, we'll do some like mild improv right now, if I may. Uh, so you're sort of, do you have like a, a representative or like a like an agent or something like that, or like a spokesperson or anything? Yeah, I have an agent, yeah. Okay, cool. So your agent calls you up and says, Steph, um, we've got you a spot on Dragon's Den next week. Uh, they want to hear about your business, want to hear all about your book, all about fuck being humble and what you how you plan to grow it. Uh, and they'll probably ask you a question, what's next uh, for you as well? So uh, you've got a week to prepare. Um, you know, we want you in. I think they filmed me up in Manchester, funny enough. Um, so you go, you're in Manchester a week from today um, and you go, okay, great. You put the phone down. So what's step one um, to up until those moments where you're just about to go into the den? So I guess the first thing I would probably do is watch loads of Dragon's Den. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not because I'd want to replicate the things that didn't didn't go well, but I just want to observe, I think, as we've just talked about, some of the questions that they will ask, because I think it's that failure to prepare, you know, then you you end up failing. And so my thing has always been like, one of the pieces of advice I give to people when they're selling in ideas is pick holes in your ideas mm-hmm. before other people do, so that you've got answers ready, so that you don't feel off guard. And that's often what happens in Dragon's Den and a lot of these reality TV shows. It's like, it's almost like they've not done a practice round of the scary questions that might get thrown at them. So first and foremost, I would look, watch it back to see things that have gone well or not, but mainly what are the dragons asking about or what might they be asking about? And in a literal example of this, there's actually a really good podcast called Pitch Deck where people go in, they pitch their idea to investors and you can listen back to the questions that investors ask you. So I'd recommend people checking that out. and, And, you know, even like, going to events and listening to questions that are prompted in the audience on the subject area you might be talking about like gather the information so that you've got as much ready to hand so you've got that mm-hmm. and then um i i like i love ted talks personally so i would also go do some research on like some of the best ted talks the formatting the process how they've done it i'd probably speak to a salesperson because I, I, although storytelling is my background, but I think that sales has a different approach altogether. So I'd also consider that. But I think if I was going in, one of the most effective approaches that I think people have is when they open with a bold statement, um, whether that is fuck being humble or not. But I went to watch a TED talk uh, in London recently and the woman, the most memorable talk of the day, the woman opened saying, the world is on fire and we're all about to die. And within a second, she got our attention. And what she went on to say was, that's what the news will lead you to believe because what the news is there for is to scare you and create shock tactics. But for every negative news story there is, I want you to go and research something positive that might be happening in that field because the media aren't covering it, but they are covering the scary stuff. And it was so impactful. And it was, you know, and I've told so many people about this, but the thing that got me was this, the world is on fire and you're all going to die. And again, I guess for me personally, that is my, my marketing um, appeal is that it's that shock tactic it's that thing so I, I would probably look to to start with quite um, a bold statement an interesting statistic something that grabs their attention 
and then go into it. But yeah, I, I think I, I would, it would need to depend on, you know, what it is I'd be pitching to them. But my thing has always been like research and ask for people's opinions. I'm someone that's always believed more minds are better than one. Mm. I am not somebody that thinks, right, I've got this brief, or I've got this project. I'm going to bury away. I'm going to make the most perfect solution. I'm going to present it and then see what that one person has to say. I do the complete opposite. I have a brief. I talk to all of my amazing creative people and even my non-creative. So like my stepdad, has. we used to watch The Apprentice Dragon's Den, everything together. Oh. He comes up with really cheesy, naff ideas. But for every like 50 that are terrible, there's like one potentially yeah. good idea. Yeah. So I often, when I was at university, I used to ring and be like, right, I've got this brief, da 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 what are you thinking? And we'd like brainstorming. So I'm definitely someone that I was like, I'd rather ask people's advice than feel like it needs to be perfect before I even talk about it. And I honestly think that's like such a missed opportunity where it's perfectionists generally, they spend hours being like, I have to be the person that solves this and only me. Yeah. And I've never ever had that perspective. I've always liked to get people's thoughts and then I can decide my own way of doing it. So yeah, there are a few things I do, but it's a great question. I've actually never been asked that on a podcast before. So, yeah, um, very good question. Oh, thank you. No, just spur of the moment. So that's what improv's all about. Uh, so you, I've, one thing I've sort of picked up on there was, um, you know, you mentioned there about picking holes in your in your arguments or in, in your business or argument. Yeah, you could call it that, in your pitches and stuff. But so say if you're going through it with like, like you say, with your stepdad or with a friend or anything, and then they highlight one particular area, which you're really, really proud of. But for some reason, in that particular moment, it doesn't quite work. And someone might say, okay, you might have to drop that bit. And you go, no, but I'm really proud of that. And, and they go, sorry, Steph, it's got to go. If you want this to work, this has got to go and you have to be ruthless. Um, so how, so you, ruthless, I think that that's a that's a power as well sometimes you have to be ruthless and give up on the things that you really really like because it's for the benefit of the bigger project yeah no totally and it's it's a really difficult thing to do like yeah. honestly I've been there and it is difficult I think um if you're asking for other people's opinions you've got to be ready to take them on always and I think that's often the mistake people make they're like yeah, yeah I'm open to feedback but they're not and and I think you've got to be willing to look at it from that that perspective and I remember interviewing Shannon Peter for my book she's the beauty editor at Stylist and one of the things that she said was your first five minutes idea usually isn't the best <laughs> it's the first five minutes right like you it's what's top of mind it's what easy to come up with but that's probably the idea you're going to go no it's the best one it was the best one and there's something <laughs> like a psychology, you know, like bias in our mind, you know, like a, a bias that we have in our brains that we think that the first thing we come up with is the best because like everybody does that, right? Um, and what she said was like, the more time you spend going to like look at different industries and look at all this, she was like, you're probably going to come up with more interesting solutions the more you kind of let it simmer. And I think that that thing of like, yeah, when you get that feedback, it's, it's not having that knee-jerk reaction of, well, you're wrong. And I disagree. It's <laughs> letting it simmer and go, yeah, do you know what? Noted. Let's look at this as a whole picture and let's see where we come back to and see where it is. Don't get me wrong. Like the ego will pipe up and you, the, yeah. you'll absolutely be like, how dare you? This, this is my best idea since <laughs> like, this is outrageous that you'd say anything else. But um, 
but I, you know, I think it is, again, it's development and it's growth. And something that I think is really important is getting used to coming up with ideas quickly. So there's something called one minute briefs that started on Twitter where they basically set a brief, very simple brief would be like, come up with a new TV advert for, or like a new advert for a Snickers bar. And it's as simple as that. And people would tweet in like a picture or, you know, a graphic or a slogan or something. And it's a really, really great exercise because what they're saying is you have to have one minute. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm pretty sure people will spend longer than one minute. But (laughs) very often the perfectionists and the people that I see delaying their success are the ones that are waiting for things to be perfect and they can't come up with ideas quickly it's like no no this has to be really considered that so I think part of the way that we can accept feedback when we don't want it is being willing to be like okay I'll come up with something new I'll come up with something I'll come up with five ideas I'll, I'll keep bouncing back and something that we had to do in advertising a lot actually I was an account manager so I never got to come up with creative ideas even though I wanted to all the time mm-hmm. but the creatives would they would they would exactly that they'd come up with their their best idea in the first five minutes but they had to go in with 10 other ideas and then the directors would go no go again and they'd be like but we've got it and they'd be like no keep going and that is really good training to be willing to let go of things quickly and I think so often we don't do that and yeah then it means that we we struggle with that so it I think often especially when people are giving that advice as well it's like not taking it personally and looking at it from a actual like constructive way and going yeah why is this person saying this as long as it's done in a constructive way and not just I think it's a bad idea Mm -hmm. then I think you know it is about observing coming back to the brief and going right does this make sense doesn't this make sense and yeah just allowing accepting that maybe what you've come up with isn't the best and go again is like it's tough but it's a really good skill to develop Absolutely. And I've just got, just got a few more questions for you, Steph. We are, sadly, we're running out of time, but uh, I've just got a few more things for you today. Um, so just, again, just building off of that there. So obviously you mentioned there, like, it, you know, you're constantly changing, constantly changing, etc. cetera. But um, how do you know when, like, for example, when Fuck Being Humble, like and the project you've got and everything, and plus other things that you've been involved in as well, how do you know when, like a project, a pitch or um, a business, whatever it is that you're working on, how do you know when it's ready to go? How do you know when oh. it's like every base is covered? How do you how do you know it's ready to go? The truth is, I don't think it ever is. Oh, okay. You know, and, and I, I really want to advocate this for this because my saying is get the it will do version ready. And I know that doesn't sound very inspiring, but let's take a website, for example. All right. When we think about what a website we might want to represent ourselves, we'll be like, oh, I want a blog on that. And I want this contact page and I want videos. I want this. But if you're not a web designer and it's going to take you a lot of time to build that, you are going to spend two years trying to build this all singing, all dancing thing. Whereas if you break it down and go, what's the minimum requirement this website needs? And how can I get that ready? Go out for launch with that and then keep adding because what's ready is already out there. I personally think that's a better strategy because uh-huh. when you're trying to be like, I'm getting it to this perfect, it's it's absolutely ready to go out to the world version. Uh-huh. You probably spent too long on it, first of all. <laughs> and um, it, it, it never is. Like somebody could always come along and go, well, you could have done that better or that. So it's like, it's, 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 this, it's actually a trap to think that you 
are doing now don't get me wrong I do I've said don't get me wrong quite a lot I do believe that don't go out with something that it's so early that it's underselling you or it's not you know the example that you're trying to meet like if there are key requirements that you need to include then obviously I would encourage you to include those things but what I'm saying is we get so hung up on this it, I'm waiting until it's perfect but as a perfectionist you'll never say it's perfect you'll yeah. always find a hole in it yes. so it's a risky game to play to look at things in that way so get what you need to feel confident but please don't strive for perfection in everything and I guess what I mean and I should caveat what I'm saying is there are going to be things that need perfect 100% Mm -hmm. and there are going to be things that could do with just 80 or 60 or 40% Mm -hmm. so in your workload in your career in your life look at what needs the 100% perfect Mm -hmm. and look at what things don't demand that at all times because otherwise you're going to be living in this every aspect of my life and everything I produce and everything I share has to be 100% perfect. You will drive yourself crazy, right? So at least give yourself a bit of leeway on like, okay, dinner doesn't have to be 100% perfect. You know what? If it looks rubbish but tastes relatively okay, fine. I've got nutrients in my body and I could do that. But if I deliver a talk and I do want that to be close to 100% perfect great then that's the that's the thing I'm going to focus on but we can't do it for everything at life that's where we get burnt out and it's where we get exhausted Mm. um I I think to give a bit of a a circle back to the original question of like how do you know I think always try and set yourself some sort of an internal brief if you've not received one so I'm going to create this talk things I want it to be are engaging positive and funny have something you can refer back to because like I said in the last hour you could be like oh but it doesn't sound intelligent enough and it's like was that ever the brief you know so try (laughs) try and set your own parameters if you've not already received some sort of a brief or some sort of a guideline Mm -hmm. Um, and know that you will have time to keep adding you know you can always keep adding you can always reapply you can always we often think that this is the now or never moment oh this is the own they're running this competition and it'll never come round again I'm like you're gonna live for 70 years like seven to 80 years you this probably will come round again like just be real with it right so do what you can in the timelines you have and in the things that you're happy with but know that if you really want it there are likely going to be chances where you will get this opportunity again and prepare for that even better the next time around. Mm. Brilliant stuff. You know, there's, there's always that conversation of like, I remember thinking at one point, you know, finishing university like at 21 and then you walk out thinking, oh, that's it. I've done all my education. My life is over. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> don't be silly. You know, and I think it's important that, you know, when you hit that stumbling block, you know, that you've, you've still got time to put things put things right you know not just in business but in anything that you do that as you said that opportunity will circle back so in other words if you find like you hit a dead end just know that that wall you can break through it and you know there's something even better waiting for you waiting for you on, on the other side which I think which I think is an important message to sort of send off really isn't it yeah absolutely I think it's really important yeah fantastic Steph um I know that you've got to shoot off in a bit so we're going to wrap things up now um just got a couple more things for you today if that's okay um first of all thank you for today this has been a really lovely talk I've really enjoyed talking to you and also great to see you again as well because I saw you back in uh 2018 which was like a lifetime ago now but um 
you mentioned it briefly at the beginning. Uh, would you mention? Would you mind telling the story again about the uh, the story in New York? Uh, and you're in an elevator, and you just happen to be stood next to um, a guy called Frank in the elevator, which you messaged on LinkedIn a few years later. And um, I think it's what I got from that story. It's about taking a risk. And so, if you don't mind, if you mind telling that story again and how taking a risk had both positive and well, I don't want to say negative, but the good and the bad sides of the the actions you took that day. Yeah. So I was on a holiday with a really good friend. We were wandering around New York and I was like, God, I've always wanted to work here. I've always wanted to live here. Like, wouldn't it be amazing if I just like walked in? And actually, I think I have to pay a lot of tribute to my friend at the time because I think she was very like, yeah, do it. If anyone could do it, it's you. And we found all the ad agencies I'd love to work at. And I just bolted in and I started trying to walk in with no CV, no contact details, no interviews, no meetings, no prior communication. Just said I really wanted to have a meeting with the managing director, like very unaware at the time how like small I was in relation to this. And, you know, almost all of the place I went to, security stopped me at the first gate and were like, no. And so in the final attempt, I just didn't ask and I just walked through like I was working in the building. And when I was working in the building, when I got in the building, I got in this lift and I was like, oh my God, this is happening. So I <laughs> stood in the lift and I was like, I don't know what floor I'm going to. So I'm just going to have to get off at every floor until I find this office. And we kept going up and then eventually got to this floor where the Frank you mentioned uh, pressed the button and then we walked out together. And and as we walked out, he said, are you okay? You look you look a little bit lost. And I sort of made a joke and I was like, I am in life. And, and he started laughing. He's like, what, what, who are you looking for? And I was like, well, and I just told him this whole story. And I was like, I'm actually um, just on holiday from London. And I've always worked to work in New York. And I just thought I would like run in here and see if I could get an interview. And he looked, I remember him looking at me thinking, are you okay? Sort of thing. And I, I just, he sort of said, um, well, I, I really loved the approach. Um, that's the reception. and That's the lady that you need to go speak to. So he kind of pointed me down the stairwell and I, I went down there. And um, again, I, I went over to this woman and she's like big, bold American woman. And I remember she had really long nails, actually. They were quite like intense long nails. Anyway, she, um, I asked this, I told her my story and she was like, that's really cute. But um, unless you've got an appointment, you're not coming in. And I was like, sure and I carried she's called <laughs> Crystal and I was like okay but I'm here so like please is there any chance and she I kept asking basically she's like I'm calling security if you don't don't leave the building and so I was like okay fine and and I should have taken a left or a right and I I took the wrong way basically and I wasn't heading to the exit now I was just walking through the office um and, <laughs> and then I was like do I start like just talking to strangers and then I was like no I, I really don't want to get handcuffed um coming out of here so eventually like the security guard kind of met me at the lift and I I, I went down and um I came out and my mate was stood there she was like oh my god you were gone for ages like um like did you did you get an interview I was like no then we like cried with laughter in the streets and we were like the reflection immediately of like what was I thinking just kicked in and I, I do really like telling that story. And it's, it's actually why I shared it on social media today was just because it's like, it's that whole thing of like shooting your shot, not asking for permission. And like, 
just doing that like who cares what if it does work out like I'm I'm an eternal optimist um and I read a book called The Confidence Mind where the guy talks about the fact that optimists never see themselves as the problem and that is 100% me like if I don't get a job I'm like well it, it can't have been me it must have been the you know the I don't know like some Brene Brown was the competition it can't have been that I wasn't good enough and and in that instance it was it was almost like well they, they wouldn't possibly turn me away and this kind of like um naivety like positive naivety I think I've talked about in the past of like why it has such good effect is that when we are scorned from situations or when we are so um beaten down by things that have gone wrong we just don't try we don't try and do things different you know people say to me all the time I'm struggling to get a job and I'm like have you called up the employer and had a conversation with them and they're like no it's like <laughs> you sent them something in the post have you found them on LinkedIn added everyone at business or have you found an event they might be speaking at and have you gone to you like I was like have you done different things and I guess that story was about even though it was a complete epic fail was about doing something different mm. having a story to tell from it and yeah. um and yeah just not really living in regret really but the funny parts of the story was I found the guy Frank in the lift on LinkedIn so I I, I asked he say introduced himself which was great and I when we met in person and then I found him on LinkedIn and I said, you wouldn't believe it, but the ballsy approach that you were celebrating didn't go down that well. Um, if there's any way, please would you share my CV internally? Cause I can see you're uh, hiring for a job. Yeah. And uh, He replied and he was like, I'm shocked that I thought it was a great idea. Um, props to you for trying. Yeah. Uh, and he sort of said like, yeah, I'll, I'll do what I can. And again, it was, again, it's just such a nice reminder of like, yeah, people do actually want to help you. And there's no way he would have replied if I'd have just messaged him, right? So yeah. it's that thing of like, even if it was a bit of a crazy, random first impression that I made, at least I made an impression. And it, yeah. and, it, and I say it in the book, like, I wouldn't change what I did. Um, I would, I would still do it again, actually. This time I'd probably know the name of the MD. I would have maybe tried to reach out to him in advance. I would maybe have had a CV with me, but I'd still go in and I'd still do yeah. the same thing again if I could get away with it. So I think it's more, it's the thing we've talked about, it's preparation. I wish I'd have prepared more for that moment. But then that's being said, I might not have done it. So, you know, I guess there's like a, yeah, the naivety that comes with that story is like, there was some glimmer of hope in my mind that I thought this this might be possible. and And... And I, I guess I want to evoke that in lots of people that, you know, if you don't try, you will never get. And there's that saying, um, Mark Shaler says, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And in that moment, I wasn't doing what I've always done. So, yeah. you know, at least I got a response and at least I <laughs> have this story that I can share as as like a public failing, but uh, something that I'm still really proud of. I mean, the courage of you to do that, that's insane. I remember reading that thinking, Wow, funny, that is brilliant. I was going, and even if it wasn't the response you wanted, it was still like, yeah, I tried. I took a chance. I took a risk. But yeah, and I think you should be so proud of that. And I think you're... Like, it's not that deep. Like, exactly. has it damaged my career? No. Has it, um, like, you know, stopped where I was going? No. Does it, like, it's never, you know, it didn't. it didn't affect me negatively. So... I think when you're doing something so risky that has the potential to literally go either way, like you have no idea that this is going to pay off. Yeah. 
I guess you do, you build that resilience a bit more and you build that like less fear of the unknown, I think is something that I've, I've probably always been quite good at leaning into is being okay with the unknown. Cool. Embrace your tenacity. I think there's a good way of doing it. Yeah. Yes. Cool. I, I've just got two more questions for you today, Steph, if that's cool. Um, so one thing that you, when, when I met you at that event a few years ago, you, I remember one of the first things you said to all of us was get out your pa uh, pads and pens and write down three things that you're incredibly proud of that you've achieved to date. If you don't mind, I'm going to rela relay that question onto yourself. What are three things that you are really, really proud of to this day? Oh, it's a very good question. Um, I'm very proud of the book, to be fair, mainly because I didn't think I'd ever be a writer. It was never in my trajectory. We opened this conversation saying I was never celebrated for being academic and writing a book that is 55,000 words is an extremely academic thing to do. Or, or, you know, it's something that I never saw for myself and I don't think people around me saw. Um, and what I'm most proud about with writing the book is the way that it gives an accessible tone to career learning, because that was always my objective is how do we make something that's really dry and boring, relatable, relevant, honest, open. And that's the compliments I get the most is people say they've read the book really quickly. And I used to think it was because there wasn't much in it, but actually what they said was like, you made it so readable that I could get through it. And, and so many people give up when they're investing in self-promotion because it doesn't feel like them. So that's definitely a big success. I think surviving through the pandemic as a small business was massive. Um, very strange timing to quit your job and go full time as a public speaker and then all events get cancelled and not get to do anything but talk to yourself in your living room doing webinars. But <laughs> I was, it was really, you know, people say, like, did you panic? I was like, I actually didn't have time to. Like, no. I went into survival mode immediately. And I didn't, I didn't let what... I had such high hopes and expectations. I was being asked to speak in Australia and Amsterdam and Copenhagen, and I had so much momentum building and it went overnight. And I think so many people could have let that damage their outlook um, and think, what's the point? Or, you know, desperately given up. Like, I remember my old employer saying, if you if you need to come back, like the door's open and like, you know, let us know if you want to do like freelance. And I was like, I kind of stayed I said, no, I, I quit for a reason and I'm I'm going to do this, you know, whether a global pandemic is affecting us or not, I'm not mm. ready to give up on this. And I, I don't, I don't want to jump as soon as it gets tough. Mm. Uh, and I think, yeah, gosh, what I've learned about business since that experience is 10 times over what I knew before everything. So I'm really proud that I stuck it out even when I didn't think uh, I would. And um, I guess like, uh, the TED Talk is a big moment. I talk quite publicly about hating my TED Talk and I'm not thinking it's very good because I had to film it by myself. I wasn't at big TED stage. I was burnt out, exhausted from the pandemic. I wasn't very good at speaking on video then. I, I still don't think I'm great at it now, but I've definitely improved since that, that opportunity. Um, but I guess just the very fact that somebody invited me to give a talk, I didn't, it's not that I even did an application. They saw potentially me and I got to do it was so amazing. And, and it was, you know, it's been, it was my dream list. It was the reason I personally founded Fuck Being Humble was because I wanted to public speak more. I wanted to use those skills more. And it was like, that was a gold star to achieve at, at, before I died, not at like 27 sort of thing. So mm. I think that's something that was like, 
even though I'm not, I don't think the output's the most representative of, of what I do, I'm still really proud that the opportunity came about. And um, yeah, that that I guess like someone from Leeds with who didn't have those academic high hopes and all of those things got the opportunity to share the story on on that stage. Yeah, amazing. Now, I, I was just counter your argument then by saying that, you know, talking to you today has been just great. And, you know, the way you've talked about everything today has just been fantastic. And, you know, you, you need to be hard on yourself. You know, you, you've, you've done some, and I listened to your TED talk, or I watched it actually. And, um, you know, you talk about everything brilliantly, you know, it's clear, it's precise, you know, and you managed to, you know, you have so many assets to your business and your book, you know, condensed down into about nine minutes. And it was so succinct and clear and it really show, showcased yourself and everything that you do and how you help other people and how you do other things. So so you need to be hard on yourself about that. You know, I think you should be at a fourth thing is, is that obviously you mentioned the TED talk, but the fourth thing is how much you've helped other people, like including myself and uh, and everything else. So don't be hard on yourself about that one. That's yeah. good. Uh, and uh, final question for every guest is what's been an experience or experiences you've had in your career up to this point that you're never, ever going to forget? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so last year I was onboarded by L'Oreal um, brand Kerastas, which is a hair care brand. They set out on a mission to help close the confidence gap amongst young women. And they asked for my insights at the start of the year about their cause. And they said, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? You're an expert in the field. You help women with empowering confidence. So what do you think? And I had a really good chat with them. And I said, look, I'll be honest, I think there's some flaws in what you're saying. I think there's this. And, this. and again, it was very like, who do I think I am? You know, being so brutally honest to a massive brand who were coming to me. But, you know, they were coming to me for my for my advice. And and then they they were really grateful. And they said, um, OK, cool. And then they got in touch a couple of months later and they said, We'd love to talk you through it again. And I remember thinking like, okay, but we're going to need to start about, talk about this getting paid now because we're going into consultancy, blah, blah, blah. And actually what it led on to was um, Fuck Being Humble is now the global brand co- uh, partner to help roll out this cause of helping close the confidence gap. Wow. Um, they love Fuck Being Humble so much. They had peppered it in every presentation they'd use all of my talks my graphics they were like there isn't we want you to be so part of this we don't want you to not swear we don't want you to change anything about you exactly how you have presented your brand for the last five years is exactly how we want you to help us with this mission mm-hmm. and it was it was it was all very fast-paced and it, it went from this meeting to let's build out a cause to help women all over the world to let's launch this massive conference in Paris that I emceed and I met like some of my icons and curated this epic event and we're still working each other and I'm going back again this year in October to host this event and I'm doing it and I guess like the reason I think this is like so unforgettable is when I talk in one of my self-promotion talks I often ask people what are their dreams and I talk them through what mine are and mine are to public speak um, to inspire, to change the world with communication and to travel. Mm-hmm. And was after that event, the morning after, I'd sort of was soaking everything up. I was like, I've literally hit a dream here, all in all three dreams in one go. Um, and it, I was, I was really emotional. I remember texting a friend, I was like crying as I was, te- as texting to be like, 
this is what I've been working towards is this this um changing the world in a positive way through my brand um and being trusted by one of the world's biggest brands um and not having to filter or change myself in any way shape or form which I have had previous clients that have said can you come in and do a talk but not say your brand name and you know things like that so and, and you know and that and that is a battle so that was a real moment where you know like there's loads of things like I love helping people there's there's loads of loads of moments that have been great yeah. but I think for me personally that was like when you talk about oh I've made it or I've done it it was like I'm being trusted on a global scale to implement the practice and tools and everything that I've been talking about um for a really important mission that I'm so passionate about and I think it was a real like coming of like all these things that I've been doing, like talks here, selling digital products there, writing the book. It was like, yeah, this was like my happy spot of making long-term impact on a global scale was like, wow, I finally reached that. So I think that was a real unforgettable moment and a massive shout out to them for, for trusting me, believing in me, still working, you know, want saying and putting me on an org chart that says, fuck being humble is our global brand partner. Like that's like, that is crazy. You know, like that, that is unforeseeable. That was never the plan. I think that's, I think anything that's happened that was was never the plan is what I'm so proud of. Um, Because all these epic things have happened that I guess I just, you don't get to always soak it up. You're always like, what's next? And I think that's what I'm really, really proud of achieving and, and doing. So yeah, that was a real standout moment. Wow. That's something you should be so proud of. Yeah, we're going to have this, this logo on like big billboards and like in Times Square at some, oh, thing, at some thank point. You. One day. Of course, of course. Yeah. A little, little note there in the bottom for me. I'm joking. But yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, that would be nice. Um, yeah, but Steph, I've just... I've run out of words. Thank you so much for today. This has been so much fun. And I know you get asked to do a lot of podcasts um, at the moment. You know, I've, when I was doing my research on you, I typed in your name on Apple and suddenly it was like 101 different episodes of different podcasts. And I was going, oh, God, like, <laughs> is she, is she, is she going to want to come on here? But no, but you have and we've done it. And uh, yeah, I'd love to have you back. I've still got so many more questions for you. Um, but yeah, hopefully, I'd love to have you back in the future, you know, to see what uh, how you've been doing with the business and more questions about growth and development and everything. And, um, but yeah, but for today, just, it's been amazing. And I thank you so much for your time and for all your, all your words. And it's been fantastic. Um, if you just hang on, I'll finish the recording. I'll say goodbye to your one-to-one. Um, but yeah, wow. What an episode. Thank you for that. Uh, guys, this has been the Uncensored Critic podcast and I'll be back very soon. And yeah, wow. Stephanie Sword Williams, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to chat.